Well, good morning, Woodside Romeo. How y'all doing this morning? That's good, right? I see some y'alls in there too. We got people, you know, just because you, know, you might not be from the South, you can, you can still say y'all. That's what we say from the South. How y'all doing, right? And uh, as you're turning in um, your Bibles, uh, we're, gonna, we're kind of in our week three of our series, the, uh, uh, the Followers Trail Guide. So we're in the uh, book of John, and we're going to be in John chapter 14. That's the fourth book of the New Testament. So as you're turning there, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be a Bible in the uh, chair in front of you, or you can use, uh, some of you all have the YouVersion app on your phone, you can also use that. But as you're turning there, I want to welcome you. Whether this is your first time with us, or you have been a, a repeat uh, visitor, or you're a full-time member, we thank you. Thank you for being a part of this family, of one family, many locations here at Woodside. And, and you are not here by chance. Whether you were invited here by a friend, you grew up in this area, or you've just kind of stumbled because of our online community or whatever, we are glad that you are here because you matter. You matter enough that Jesus died for you to give you life into the fullest. And I asked you how you were doing, and as I said in the previous uh, service, I'm going to ask it again. And I want you to think about it. How are you doing today? Oh, Travis, you don't have enough time in the day. There's not enough hours. I've got a lot of things in my mind that I can share with you right now. And as we've been kind of walking through this, 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 this series, uh, The Followers Trail, God Navigating the Path of Jesus, you may find yourself on this path of life kind of wondering, how did I end up here? I kind of had a, a plan. I had this expectation. I had this hope. I had these desires. But now here I am, and I don't really seem certain of where I'm at. The trail that I'm on does not seem to be leading where I hoped it would be. The experience that I hope to have is not where I'm at right now in my current circumstance. And if I were to really ask you how you're doing, you may say, Travis, I'm kind of troubled. How many of you are troubled today? Now, you, one of three categories. You either just came out of a troubling se season, you're in a troubling season, or you're getting ready to go into a troubling season. And for wherever you're at, I want you to know this is a message for you today. Because Jesus has some very specific words about what, what, how do we deal with a troubled heart? How do we navigate this path when we're not certain of where the path's leading us? And so wherever you're at this morning, I want you to know that Jesus says to cast all of your burdens on him, for he cares for you. Now, I, I love the, the fishing analogies uh, that they often used, because that's what they did back then. They, they would cast these giant nets, and then you got to go out and go get the nets. But I don't think it's how we do it as 21st century Westerners. We like to do more kind of rod and reel. We cast all of our burdens on them, and if we don't like the results that we're getting, we don't like the timing, we don't like the procedure or the way that we get nervous, and we kind of reel that sucker back. And we're just constantly casting and reeling throughout our life. And we're wondering why we're frustrated. We're wondering why we're troubled. See, this is not a give and take. This is surrendering and trusting. And so even if you are not aware, maybe you're in a good season right now, I want you to know, put this in your back pocket, because I promise you, in this world, Jesus says, you will face trouble. But fear not. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And we're going to talk about what that means practically for you today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, John chapter 14, starting with verse 1, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, we're going to give a little context, because context matters, right? Now, 
he, why would he start that chapter with this? Well, there's usually a reason for that. So if you flip one page over or more in your Bible to chapter 13, beginning with verse 36, there's a little bit of a buildup of why Jesus is going to say this to his disciples. Look at chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot, uh, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Now, you need to remember what's going on here. We're in the Last Supper. This is one of the final discourses that Jesus has before he's eventually going to be tried. Uh, he's going to go to be crucified on the cross, and all these other things are going to transpire. But before that happens, he knows what's going on in the disciples' hearts. They've been living with him, following him for three years, and they've been hanging on everything he says. And now he's literally saying, hey, what I'm getting ready to do, I'm sorry, you can't go with me. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus, we've been with you this entire time. When people have tried to stone you, when people have tried to run you off, all the religious leaders, and now you're saying, we can't go with you? What's up? And then verse 37, Peter says to uh, Jesus, Lord, why can't, why, why can't I follow you? Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life, Peter? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, so here's the context. As we're getting up to this very famous verse in John 14, 1, and many of you all have heard it before. So, so Jesus is looking at his disciples' lives, what they've been going through and everything that's been happening up to this point. And he also sees their future that they don't even know about yet. See, they, like so many of the followers of Jesus, and even many of the Israelites, they were hoping that this Messiah King was going to pull them out of Roman oppression and raise up this, uh, the nation of Israel to its heyday hundreds and hundreds of years ago before uh, you know, they were basically taken to captivity by Babylonians. They wanted to be back to this political ascension. And they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord during this Palm Sunday we celebrate, right? And then literally a week later, they're saying crucify because they were not expecting Jesus to do what he's getting ready to do. He knows what he's getting ready to do. He has to go to the cross. He has to go to die. And, and, and Jesus sees in the hearts of these disciples just as he sees in the hearts of you and me today. Hey, you've got a lot of right to be troubled. And you may not even know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I do. And I want you to trust me because I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. And so right here, Jesus is going to say, hey, your, leader's gonna, your own leader's going to deny me three times. You can't even go where I'm going. Oh, by the way, it's only going to get worse from here. And then he gives them the answer, which is really the big idea if you're taking notes. How do you, how do you, you know, he, he says, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. What, what is the solution that Jesus is going to give? And when I give you the solution, you're going to be like, it can't be that simple, Travis. It can't be that simple. It sounds so generic. But the big idea for today, and he's going to unpack it in a very powerful way, is how do you overcome a troubled heart? Believing in Jesus. Believing Jesus. Why? Because he's not just one way. He's not one of many ways. He is the only way. And we're going to talk about what that means practically for you and I today. Jesus literally says, believe in me. And you think, okay, that sounds great. So what does that mean practically? I mean, believe in. Now, let's go ahead and look at our, our, our Bible here in John chapter 14. The first point, if you're going to take notes for today, number one, believe Jesus will bring us to the Father. Okay? 
Believe Jesus will bring us to the Father. What does he mean by that? Well, let's let's see see what Jesus says here. Look at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, let's stop for a second. That word believe is not what you and I often think it means. It is not like I believe that something. Believing that something exists and believing in something is two completely different things. The Greek word for here for belief is postuo, to put your trust in. So literally, let's read this again. When Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me, okay? He literally is saying, trust in God, trust also in me. That's literally what he's saying here. There's a lot of people who believe in God. The demons believe in God in James, and yet they're not submitting to the authority of Christ. Believing that something exists and putting your trust in something is completely different. A lot of people believe that the Bible is true, but they don't place their trust in it. Big difference. And so right here, Jesus is saying, I want you to know, uh, hey, believe in me. When you believe in God the Father, you're believing in me. We're going to unpack what this means, all this Trinitarian language that he's going to use. See, over and over and over, Jesus makes it abundantly clear, particularly for us 21st century Westerners, the gospel is offensive because he is making two claims. He is making an exclusive, inclusive claim. Now, what do I mean by that? Exclusively, he's basically saying, um, you cannot know God without knowing Jesus. You can't. And he's going to talk about him being the only way. And we're going to unpack what that means. He's going to talk about what it means exclusively, and he's going to talk about what that means inclusively. So hang tight. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So how do, we, how do we begin that process? Because what happens every single day, you make a choice. When you got up this morning, you made a choice. Either I'm putting my trust in my functional saviors, my circumstances, which I have little control over at times, or am I putting my trust in my sovereign savior, Jesus Christ, because he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And with here, Jesus is literally saying, hey, wait a minute. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I know you have a lot to be troubled at, but trust me, believe in God, trust me. The question you have to ask yourself is, do I trust Jesus? Is Jesus enough? Or is it Jesus plus? Is it Jesus plus good circumstances? Is it Jesus plus the right health outlook that I'm looking for? Is it Jesus plus the right relationship or family dynamic or the amount of money in the bank or whatever that is that's going to make me happy? That's hard. And he sees that in the circumstances. Every day I have to make a decision. Am I going to, am I going to look at my circumstances or am I going to raise my head above the horizon of circumstances to the author and the perfecter of my faith? Jesus who is greater than my circumstances, who's going to see me through those circumstances. He's never going to forsake me. He's going to pursue me. He's never going to let me go. He's never going to let you go, even when you try to run away from him. And right here, he knows the disciples are troubled. So how do we begin that process of shifting the weight of me putting my circum- uh, trust in my circumstances? We begin shifting it by putting it on our sovereign Savior. That's why he says, cast all of my burdens on him. I'm shifting, the, taking the burden onto my circumstances and hope it's going to work out. And I'm shifting it by prayer and I'm placing it on Jesus. That's what he means by that. Prayer is a really big deal. And when we have people come down here that are praying for you, whether you come down or not, they are praying for you. They're praying for your heart. Because as you're standing right here waiting, there's nothing magical about coming down. 
But there is something about coming down to somebody who's willing to pray on your behalf to God, pray for you, not judge you, and to listen to your story because you matter. Because God wants you to know that. And he puts certain people here to pray with you. And there's nothing magical about coming down. But there is something about doing business with God through prayer. And prayer is not just informing God. It's about agreeing and aligning your heart with his. That's why we worship in so many different ways. Worship through song, worship through reading his word, through preaching, worship through gathering together so we don't grow accustomed as so many people do of not for gathering together. That's why it's important to have biblical community. And I'll say this. We're getting ready. We just started life groups, right? And, we've, and we're always pushing out life groups, but biblical community is important. I had my birthday last weekend. went to Fogo to Chow. I had the meat sweats. If you've never had the meat sweats, it's one of those kind of things. I, uh, it's definitely, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, Dan. And so we went there, and I had some wicked acid reflux. I'm 44 now, so I'm thinking, like, man, I, gotta, like, I can't eat that kind of meat like I used to because, it, you know, it's like I had to have, have a Pepto-Bismol smoothie later that night. And so I'm having this, and I'm thinking, oh, I love meat. You know, the green card just keeps going, baby. They just keep bringing it. And you look around, and if you don't flip that card, they just keep bringing the meat, man. Like, you want some filet mignon? You want this? I'm like, yes, yes, bacon wrapped. Anything wrapped in bacon, praise God, right? And, and so with that, uh, I see that, and I'm like, oh, man, I love meat. But if I only had that, and I didn't eat the rest of the week, what would happen to me? I'd be sick. For many people, this is what they view Christianity right here. Coming to church, singing praises, getting a great experience, and going back and living your life. That's only a piece of it, folks. There's, we were created for relationships, first with God and then each other. This is the gateway to enter into those relationships of life group and discipleship. So if you're not in a group, I highly encourage you to get in one. Come talk to one of us. We're not here to judge. We're just here to listen. We want to connect you with people that walk with you through your pain and listen to you and help you, encourage you, and sharpen you. Men, we're going to be talking about our men's study. We're starting back up on the 27th. Men's study. Uh, we, I, hear some, I see some head nod. This is going to be a good time, okay? We are going to be getting together with men and talk about what does it mean to be a godly man. We're going on this three-year discipleship journey. We're starting on Tuesday. We've got our group leaders. We are super excited to pour into our men. So if you have not signed up, come on. We've got plenty of spots on Tuesday. You can just show up. We will make us place for you because we care about you. Which leads me to my thing here. Jesus says, hey, in my Father's house, verse 2, are many rooms. He's preparing something. Jesus is preparing if it were not so, I would have told you, Lord, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will, and if I go and prepare a place for you, verse 3, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, uh, you may be also. Now, this is a very misquoted verse, often very misunderstood. And I, in, the, in the world of HTTV and all the great, you know, house remakes, I was just talking to somebody earlier today, and I was like, hey, how are y'all doing? It's like, we're in the process of redoing our house. And I'm like, I'm like, God bless you in your ministry. I remember those days. I know what it's like. It is not easy, right? And, and you're watching YouTube videos and trying to help people that are smarter than you to come over and help and not trying to pay too much money. And you're like, I want to, this is kind of what I want. This is my vision of what I want it to be like. And for many people, they see heaven that way. They see heaven as a place that if you live a good enough life and you do all the things that God wants you to do as a Christian, that you're going to have some bougie HDTV house with golden toilets, okay, on streets of gold. It, it, that's not the point. And if that is your expectation of heaven, I think Jesus is saying you're missing the point. Because when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place, is heaven a real place? Yes, it is. It's not a feeling. It's not a, it is a real place. But what makes heaven heaven is not the place. It's the person. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus. 
And we're going to see here that Jesus is not, just, I mean, Jesus is like, wait a minute, disciples, i got to clean up some stuff first. Hey, kids, I told you to put those toys back, and we got some guests coming, so we got to clean up. No, he's not doing that. He is preparing himself. He knows that he's getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray, if there be any other way, God, please take this cup from me. He's getting ready to be tried, arrested, crucified. His blood is going to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. He's going to be nailed to a cross, and he's going to die. And three days later, he's going to rise from the grave, conquering death for the forgiveness of our sin. And he is going to appear before over 500 people for over a course of 40 days. People are going to touch him, talk to him, see him, eat meals with him. And he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and then he will be prepared to receive you and I with him. That's what it means when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is heaven because of the person of Jesus, because we get to be with Jesus. Amen? Think about that. Because he knows he's getting ready to leave, and he knows their hearts are troubled. If you've heard this place before, uh, you know, how he's preparing himself, then all of a sudden we go on here, verse 3, and I, and I prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Verse 4, and you know the way I'm going. Now, I don't know about you, I read this. We kind of read this on the back end because we already kind of know what, what's happening. But they're reading this as it's kind of laying out. So they're, I'm kind of putting myself in the disciples' minds. Okay, you, you already know the way? What do you mean, Jesus? How do we know the way? And they're thinking very simplistic. They're thinking very shallow. And Jesus is going, you don't understand the words coming out of my mouth, right? And, and oftentimes they did. That's why he had to re-explain himself. <laughs> they said, Jesus, when you said this parable over here, can you kind of explain what it meant? And he's like, okay, I'll kind of put it down here on your level again. And Jesus is talking kind of this way again, and they're not getting it. Because right here, Jesus says, the way that I am going to settle your troubled heart I'm going to tell you, disciples, that you are going to be with me in my Father's house. Think about that, wherever you're at in your season right now. As Christians, the Bible says to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Think about that. My dad is 87. He has uh, had cancer for several years, and he was kind of somewhat in remission, and we just found out a couple of weeks ago that he may uh, be coming up with, uh, we're coming back with some more tests, but they're looking at, it may be possibly bladder cancer. If you know anything about bladder cancer, it's very aggressive, and uh, they, he's going to be going on dialysis pretty soon because his kidneys have not been doing well. So we're going down to Louisville next week to go visit him, and so please pray for the Jewel family. He's the oldest Jewel in our family, and after them, it's going to be me, and so there's a lot of people uh, in our family who don't know Christ. And if you're in that kind of situation, your family, you know, you kind of have that one person who was kind of the stable person. It was kind of the matri uh, patriarch or matriarch. And uh, they were the, kind of the, that, that foundation for uh, Christianity for many folks. When they're gone, who's going to step and fill those shoes? And, and there's a lot of folks that need to know Jesus in our family, just like probably your family, right? And there's, there's a lot of troubling, right? There's a lot of like, what are we going to do when dad's gone? Who's going to settle the affairs? And we're working through all that stuff. So we're praying for God's favor and wisdom in the sermon. I'm thinking about the disciples. Hey, Jesus, you're getting ready to go. We can't go with you, and you're going to do all this? I mean, like, and then when eventually it does happen, and then he does get arrested, they're probably going, Jesus, what the? Well, well, you, you just said you're going to be, we can't go, and now you're going to be crucified, and I, I'm scared. I, this is not working out the way I thought it was going to work out. It's not happening the way you said it would happen, Jesus. It's not happening the way I think it should happen. It's not fair. 
I don't mean to burst our bubble, but many times, I, I've said this before, fairness is not a biblical value. I hear good old Thomas. I love Thomas. Don't you just love Thomas? Good old Thomas. That's why it's just like real life, baby. Verse 5, Thomas gets in here. He basically says, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? <laughs> I love Thomas. I mean, I don't know about you, if your name was called Doubting Thomas, that's something. I mean, Doubting Travis, Doubting Thomas, I, I, I wouldn't really want to be known for that. But you know what I like about it? It's because Jesus meets him right where he's at. He doesn't chastise him, he proves himself to him. Because he knows Thomas's heart, because he knows Thomas is really seeking. And for those of you in this room that are really seeking, I want you to know, Jesus wants you to come to him with, with your questions. Just be humble enough to receive when he answers you, because I promise you he will. Be ready to receive that. And here he is. He says, you got a question? Ask him. And so then we kind of get into this next phase. It's called the I am statements. There's seven times in the book of John that the I am statements are mentioned. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and life. All these different kind of I am statements. So what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, Yahweh was the covenant name for God. And when Moses was standing at the burning bush before God, and he was like, hey, when I go to Pharaoh to tell about uh, who's this God? What name is he? Uh, who should I say your name is? And, and God says, I am that I am. Literally meaning, I be that I be. And Jesus is literally saying, when you see God, I am. You want to know God the Father? I am. You want to know what the Father looks like? I am. Now that the dots should be connecting. What does he mean by this? And the disciples hopefully are getting some connections. Like, okay, this Trinitarian language can be very confusing. And so we're trying to slow it down here for you. But really, there's this very exclusive inclusivity. Remember I told you that earlier? Here we go. See, there is an exclusivity about this. Because in verse 6, we get to a very famous verse. And Jesus says, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not one of many ways. And that's where we're at in the day. Oh, there's multiple ways to get to God, right? What about the person who has never heard about the gospel and lives on the island? And they just have faith, and maybe they just believed, right? Well, Romans 1 talks about there should be no, there should be no, no excuse base because God has revealed himself. But he's revealed himself exclusively through Christ. Because this is a very offensive thing to say, that there's only one way to God the Father, and that's through Jesus. That's tough. That is a harsh thing. It's controversial. It's offensive to many people. But the gospel is offensive. And right here, he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and life. Oh, and by the way, so you can't have any um, hermeneutic gymnastics. Oh, and nobody can come to the Father but through me. Oh, wait a minute. So you're telling me I'm the way, the truth, and life. You're the way, the truth, and life, and nobody can come to God the Father for you. Yes, that's right. And oh, by the way, the Greek word for no one, it means no one. Right? It's, in, it's exclusively inclusive. It's exclusive meaning that Jesus is the only way. It's inclusive meaning that everybody gets invited by Jesus to come to the Father through him. It, 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 all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans 10, 9 through 10. For, for God so loved America? No. For God so loved Israel? No. For God so loved, uh, pick your whatever, right? No. God so loved the world. Well, what does the, the Greek word for world say? Well, the Greek word for world says world. World. God loved the world. He loved you right where you're at. You are not here by chance. 
And he knows you're troubled. And he wants you to believe because he wants to, sh- to bring you to the Father. And ultimately, number two, he wants to show you the Father. Look at your, look at your notes here in verses 7 through 11. Believing Jesus now will show us the Father. Look at verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, scholars believe that about only 13 times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father. So not a lot. Not a lot. In the book of John alone, a hundred times. So you think about 189 times in the New Testament, a hundred times the book of John, 10 times right here in John 14. Jesus is beating that drum. When you think of God, I want you to think of his father. You're thinking, whoa, record scratch, Travis. I ain't got a good relationship with my father. Me and my dad are on good, on good terms. And so right now, as you say, father, I've already got these negative feelings right now because my father was not present. My father was not there. We don't have a great relationship. And if that's what a father looks like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I want to offer you some encouragement. We'll talk to the dads for a second here. Dads, did you know that your kid's primary view of God will be shaped by the way you treat them? Think about that. The way I treat my kids. But I want you to know that God is not a reflection of you as an earthly father or your earthly father or me. But rather, he is the perfection of of what it means to be a father. Amen? Think about that. Dads, as you look to the author and the perfecter of your faith, Christ, and as he is shaping you into his image of what it means to be a good father, then you will be able to rightly love your children as God perfectly loves you. Amen? Think about that. That's why we have the men's study. It's not just a thing to do. It's what we want to encourage you. We want to bring you in. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to keep you on the outside. For the weak, for the slowest, that's, I only have to be as quick as the slowest gazelle. We want to bring you into the fold, bring you into the pack. You are not alone. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And that's what this study is about. It's not an event. It's about doing life together in biblical community for God's glory and others' good. So never stop fighting for the hearts of your children, men. And even if you're not a father, maybe you're an uncle. Maybe you're a a brother. Maybe you're a teacher, a coach, and you don't have children. God has positioned certain people in your life for you to be an influence on them. I didn't grow up with a father. I don't even know who my father is. I was raised by my grandparents. I call him my dad. He's technically my grandfather. We're going to be doing some DNA tests here pretty soon because I was coming up with some health issues that I shouldn't be having at 44, and I'm pretty good health. And so they think, hey, do you have any genetic issues? I said, I know nothing about my father's side of the family. So we're doing some uh, DNA tests because we think we know an aunt who's possibly related. So we're doing that. So pray for that. But why do I share that? Because it's easy to get bent up around the axle about what we don't have. And God is pursuing us. God is going to put certain men in our life to influence us, just as he did in my life, and just as he's doing in your life, and he wants to use you to do that in other people's lives. So I want to encourage you, men, just because you don't have a child doesn't mean you can't be a father-like figure. So never stop fighting for the hearts of your kids. Never stop loving them. Never stop, it's because God has never stopped fighting for you. You are here for a reason. And Philip says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough. Now, time out, Philip. 
You mean to tell me the Israelites have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years and we haven't seen you? I don't know when the last time you checked, Philip, but I mean, the last time, I mean, God did like, he was basically a cloud of fire at night and he had a column of, of smoke during the day. He did part the Red Sea and he did all these crazy miracles. And you're telling me we've never seen God the Father? Now, before we give Philip a hard time, I want to put us into that equation of Philip. Because honestly, I'm, I'm Philip. You're Philip. Why? Because how many times do we miss the goodness of God and his working every day of our lives and all we see is what we think we don't have and what we think we need and want? And God said, hey, man, I have been working in your life before you were even born while you were in your mother's womb because you were fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalms 139. Oh, well, how I know your works. And I breathe the air into your life. I'm breathing the air that you could sing songs right now. And I have never left you or forsaken you. I have always been there, even when you didn't think it. I have always been listening to your prayers, even though you didn't think anybody heard. I have always loved you when you thought you were unlovable. I've always believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself. I have never left your side. Don't forget the goodness of God. When all else seems blight and you don't know where to turn, turn back and remember God's faithfulness. Amen? That's what he's, Jesus is trying to say. And then we can hear Jesus says right here, wait a minute, Philip, verse 9. Haven't I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? Now hang tight. He's going to go back and forth in this. So don't get lost in the verbiage, Okay. He says, um, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, and uh, I am the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, verse 11, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You're thinking, whoa, what is Jesus saying? It sounds so confusing, right? Let me kind of slow it down here, okay? Bottom line. Jesus is saying, Philip, you see me? You see God the Father, period. I'm a kind of a bottom line kind of guy. You see me? You see God the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? Look to the Son. You want to know what the Father's will is for your life? Look to Jesus. You, know what, you want to know what the Father said? Listen to Jesus. You want to know what the, the Father's future is for your life? Look to Jesus. Now, what do you mean look to Jesus, Travis? What do you mean look to Jesus? We have everything in the account of Jesus' life. He's already laid it out. Look at the Gospels. Look at how he lived his life. Look at how he loved people. Look at what he's already said and done in the disciples' lives and in, your, in my life. If we want to know what God's will is, we look to Jesus. He's already laid it out. We have seen how God has kept you. Some of you have come through some pretty dark times, and there is there's a reason why you're here, because Jesus was bringing you through that and pointing you to God the Father, unbeknownst to you maybe, or maybe you did know. But nevertheless, he was working, and he is working, and he will continue to work, even when you don't believe he's there. Even when I don't feel you, you're still working. Even when I don't see you, you're still working. You never stop. You never stop, because he is the way maker. Amen? And we're going to sing about that later. So if you're taking notes, number one, believe Jesus will show us the Father. Number two, believe Jesus will bring us to the Father. And number three, if you're taking notes, believe Jesus will glorify the Father through us. And I love this because now he's shifting the gears. He's shifting from talking about the work of God the Father, and now he wants to involve us. He wants to involve you. You see, Christianity is not sit soaking sour so you can just get all sit on your uh, glory hallelujah waiting for your uh, life insurance policy. We were meant to work. 
for his glory and others' good. And right here, he wants us to be participants, to co-labor with him, to take the raw goods of this world and, and, and use them to cultivate and to, and, and, and to use them for others' flourishing. And that you, So you have certain gifts and abilities that God is giving you. And that's what we're asking. If you've got gifts and you're not plugged in the church, whether it be a greeter or tech team or life group leader or discipleship, we want you to know that God has not stopped you. He's not waiting for you to get all your degrees and all the money in the bank and all the time because you're never going to have that. Busyness often robs us from the best that God wants us to have. There's always something good out there. And Jesus says, listen, truly, truly, in verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 12 to 14, he says, I say to you, disciples, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. Now, what do you mean by that? And then he's going to go on to say, you're going to do even greater works than these. I'm thinking, what? Wait a minute. How can I do greater works than Jesus? Anybody raised anybody from the dead? I didn't think so. Anybody walked in water? Anybody fed 5,000? I didn't think so. I'm thinking, well, wait, uh, I, I haven't really done that. Many. How am I going to do greater things? I cannot think it just means greater. And it has to be greater in magnitude. Now, what do I mean by that? How many sermons could Jesus preach at one time? Now, he could have preached as many as he wanted to, but for what we see in the recorded scriptures, how many sermons did Jesus preach at a time? One. One sermon, right? He could have preached more, but he didn't, did he? Well, what we know, he preached one at a time. And then we have the 12 disciples. And then you have the 72. And then you have in Acts, 3,000 people get saved. What is happening in Matthew 28? We have what? The Great Commission. What is the end state? It's to make disciples who make disciples. That's the goal. And Jesus wants to empower. He's basically saying, listen, I'm going to be leaving disciples, and I can't always be by your side, but I'm going to give you a helper, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And you are going to be able to do even greater things than me. You think, whoa, wait a minute, I'm going to raise from the dead? That's not what he's necessarily saying. He's talking about the multitude, uh, the, the magnitude. Let me put it in better perspective. Right now, as I'm preaching, we're going to be done in the next five minutes here, right now, about... Mm, you can Google this, probably about 34 million sermons are going to be preached this week alone. 34 million. Think about that. These are all procl- hopefully proclamations of the gospel message getting to the world to spread that good news of who Jesus is. Think about that. That's all those gospel encounters, all those messages. God wants to use you right where you're at, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, to bring others good with the gospel for his glory. Think about that. So when, when he says in verse 10, the words that I say to you, I don't speak them on authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. What is he, he's saying is Jesus equates his words with the Father's works. And because Jesus has gone to the Father, and the way that we're going to accomplish even greater works is that Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit. Pastor J.D. Greer of the Summit Church says this in his book, Jesus Continue. He says, in particular about this verse, John 14, the Jesus, the, 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 the spirit inside you will be greater than the Jesus beside you. Now, what do you mean by that? Jesus is leaving, but he's going to send his spirit to empower, to be his very hands and feet to the world. Think about that. You can be Jesus' hands and feet to a lost and dying world. And you're going to be able to say things that I will never be able to say. You're going to have connections that I will never have because Jesus has perfectly planted you right where you're at for his glory and others' good. And as we're closing this service, I want you to think about your relationship with God. Because in verse 13, he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
Now, that's an often misunderstood phrase. It's misunderstood. Why? Because Jesus is not a genie in the bottle like a vending machine. He will not be a means to your idolatry. He will not be a means to your, your method. He's, he is not conformed to your image. It's the other way around. Even Jesus, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he was submitting to the, his Father's will. Not my will, but your will be done. And as the team is coming up here, I want you to think about your relationship with God. Think about your prayer life. How is your prayer life? When you pray to God, are you just hoping for some, I don't know, what are you hoping for? Because prayer is not informative. Prayer is aligning our hearts with Jesus's. Prayer is, is, is submitting and releasing. It's, 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 it's uh, connecting. It's, it should be freeing. It shouldn't just be informative because God already knows your situation. He knows your heart. He doesn't need you to reverberate that again. He wants you to connect with him, not through some magical words, just being real with him. So I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. As we kind of close this time and our, our prayer team is going to be coming down here during as the worship band's coming up, but I want you to think about your heart. I asked earlier, how are you doing? Do you have a troubled heart? And the only way for, to get through a troubled heart is to believe in Jesus. Jesus, pastuo, to trust in Jesus. Is Jesus enough? And for those of you who have never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, maybe today Jesus says, hey, I'm knocking at your heart's door. I've been, I've been using situations and putting people in your life to point you to the reality of who I am and who I want to be in your life. And today is the day of salvation. That somehow believing my faith that when Jesus died on a cross, somehow it counted for you. That you would step out of darkness into light. And his spirit would now indwell in you. If that is who you want to be, if you were saying, I want to be a child of God. There's nothing magical in the words that I'm going to pray, but I pray by the power of His Spirit through my mortal words that you would connect with God because it's faith that, that saves you, not through works, not just doing right things, but about a, a right stand. And how do you get that right stand? By putting your faith in the one who did for you what you could not for yourself. Our good and gracious God, we pray right now for our own hearts. We pray for our spouse's hearts. We pray for our workers. We pray for the Ecuador team, our pastoral leadership, our political unrest right now in our nation with upcoming midterm elections. There is a lot of reasons to be troubled, but it has to start right now with our relationship with you. We cannot control any of our circumstances until we know that you are truly the only one in control of it all. And it has to start with our heart. Do you have our heart? And for the rest of us who have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, I pray that we would not leave this place without doing business with you. Whether it be coming down front, kneeling where we're at, but we would not forsake this moment because there is power in prayer. There is power. Please let us not forget that. We're getting ready to go have lunch with our friends and family and go pick up our kids.